Father, we also pray for the sermon and the message right now. As we get into John's gospel, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come, would, that he would illuminate our hearts, that your word would come alive in our spirits and in our minds, that we would not just understand what you're saying to us, but Lord, we would put it into practice and thereby become more and more like your son, Jesus. So Lord, quicken my words and give me the passion and the, clar- and the clarity to declare your message today. And we lift these prayers to you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a, an application that has come out in the last few years. It's on the internet. You can probably download this as an app. I, I just looked it up this weekend. It's called Yelp. Anybody know about Yelp? Okay. If you, you know about Yelp. If, and if you have little kids, you know, you know Paw Patrol, their line is, uh, you know, if you get in trouble, just Yelp for help. And that's what our grandkids like to do. But uh, if you're looking for a review, if you're looking for someone's opinion as to perhaps a hotel or a restaurant or a place to visit, you know, a lot of people go for Yelp. Now, Lisa and I, uh, go to that next slide because Lisa and I uh, visited this wonderful place in San Francisco about a year and a half ago. Uh, right after Easter time in the year 2016, uh, Lisa was uh, principal at a Christian school, and their uh, school calendar, they always got the week, of, uh, the week off from school right after Easter Sunday. And so traditionally, we would take these trips, and we've gone to different places, and we decided that year, in 2016, we were going to go visit San Francisco. We hadn't been there in a long time. And so we're in the Embassy Suites Hotel just south of the San Francisco airport, and we're trying to figure out, hey, what are we going to do? You know, Pier 39, eh, we've already been there. You know, all this other things we've, we've done in San Francisco. Let's try something new. She goes online, and she finds this review of a famous chef in San Francisco, And the question was asked of this chef, hey, on your day off, if you were going to cruise around San Francisco and you were going to eat at a certain place for breakfast, where would you go? And he says, oh, hands down, I'd go to the Tartine Bakery. It's in the Castro District on Guerrero Street. I'll give you directions if you you really get into it. But uh, but, uh, that is one of their bakery items. They're famous for this thing called a morning bun which I couldn't find a photo of, so I had to settle for this French uh, pastry called pain au chocolat, which I think means bread with chocolate on the inside. And it sounds pretty good to me. So Tartine Bakery, but the reason that we visited this place at all and found out how good it was, and by the way, uh, we were the, yeah, we've been back more than once because uh, we're addicted to that stuff, but uh, we've The reason we went in the first place was because somebody who was respected and trusted gave us his recommendation. Now, the only bummer is when you go to the Tartine Bakery is you come there, you're hungry, you're ready to go, you're around the corner, and you get to the restaurant, and you see this line of people coming out of the restaurant all the way down the street. The last time we were there, I think there were were about 40 people in line in front of us. So you have to be willing to wait, and what you find out is, is, darn it, we weren't the only people who read that blog, you know, and now it's, now it's become famous in San Francisco. So for sure, I would go to the Tartine Bakery now. So whether you've ever heard of Yelp, whether you've heard of, of uh, uh, applications like that, uh, we are people who don't just take something at face value. We want to find out if anybody has experienced 
something that we're thinking about doing, whether it's a restaurant or a hotel or a, 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 a place to visit, we want to find out if somebody has gone before us and experienced that. And if their experience was good, then we might check it out for ourselves. Um, this weekend, we're starting a new series. It's in the Gospel of John. It's called Come and See. By the way, did anybody drive by Bodega Avenue this week? Did anybody see that little sign out there? Anybody see the gold and brown speckles on there? If you look really closely, did anybody let us get far enough away? Because you get up about 10 feet away, and I go, you know, it's, I, I can't see what, what they're seeing. Come and see. But as I backed off and I parked further away and I came into the church, about 50 feet away, it suddenly became clear, and it was actually a, like the face of Jesus within all those little dots. So check out those colors when you walk away from the, the Come and See banner this weekend. And it's, so it's called Come and See. And in the beginning of John's gospel, we don't see Jesus himself. The first character we're introduced to in John's gospel is the person we know as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And John is in the Jordan River and he's baptizing people. And Jesus had come uh, when Jesus began his ministry. It says in Luke's gospel that Jesus was about 30 years of age, which would have been the age when a rabbi could start teaching officially. And so Jesus put down his carpenter tools. He walked out of Nazareth and he walked southeast about 60 miles down to the Jordan River to the place where John was baptizing. And Jesus went into the water to be baptized by John himself. And John said the person... Uh, that, that the Lord had told John the Baptist, the person that you see the Holy Spirit resting on, that is the Messiah, that is the Christ. That is the person that you came to announce. Because when the religious leaders came to John and they said, hey, tell us plainly, who are you? Are you the Christ? And John says, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not that. Well, then, if you're not one of those guys, who are you? You know, where do you get this authority to come out in the middle of the desert and have thousands of people coming to you, and they're all getting baptized? And you say, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me that he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And they said, well, so what is your, what's your deal? What, why are you here? And he says, I'm here to announce. I'm here to say, prepare for the coming of the Lord. Make straight the paths for the Lord. And so Jesus came and John uh, baptized Jesus. And then we know from Matthew and Luke's gospel that immediately after his baptism, uh, Jesus went into the desert and he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus came out victorious from that encounter, never gave in to the temptation to sin. And so now Jesus comes back to where John the Baptist is on the river. And John the Baptist says, look, in verse 35, this is where we pick it up. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, I love Jesus. I love him. He's straight up. He's straightforward. It's like, you know, and, and I don't think he said it like, what do you want? 
you know, like, like looking back and saying, or what, what do you want? You know, it, it's basically this idea. Jesus is now walking along and he knows he's, he's, he's on the cusp of starting his ministry. He's not going to start his ministry without a group of followers. And so Jesus is now in the selection process. He's figuring out who is going to be his band of brothers. Who is going to be this ministry team that is going to spend time with Jesus day and night for three years until Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the last time and he's crucified and buried and raises again. So Jesus is on the uh, ministry team selection mode, if you will. And so two of these disciples of John, it's very interesting that, that they'd already uh, been sitting under John's teaching. They were his followers. And now John gives a recommendation. John gives the first century Yelp review, if you will. And John says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Early he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John said earlier, he said, and I, I testify that this is the chosen one of God. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And so these two guys are saying, well, we, we know John. We trust John. We've followed his teaching. He is the real deal. Now we're going to go check out Jesus for ourselves. And we know, or, or at least we believe, we know for sure the name of one of these disciples because of later in the story. One of the disciples is named Andrew. The other disciple, we don't have his name, but most likely his name is John. And the reason we know his name is John is because he's the author of the gospel, and John is so humble writing this gospel that he never identifies himself. Later on, the only way that, that we know it's John is John describes himself, and he says, uh, Jesus said to the disciple whom he loved, or the disciple whom Jesus loved asked him this. He didn't even say his own name. That's how humble John is. So we believe it's John now, and Andrew, and they're following Jesus, and Jesus turns around, and he says, hey, what do you want? And they say to him, a, a term of respect, they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? I love that about these disciples, because many times uh, when you see the miraculous happen, or you see Jesus do something, they are they're amazed, they're slightly confused, they're a little overwhelmed in their spirits, and they don't really know what to say. You remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where uh, Jesus is up on the mountain and his clothes become light, like lightning white, whiter than any uh, bleach could wash them. And now Moses is on one side of Jesus and Elijah appears on the other side. And Peter goes, this is amazing. You know, this is so great. He says, Lord, why don't we build three shelters for you? Let's just build three shelters. And it, sa it even says in Mark's gospel, Peter didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> so, so, you know, Jesus says, what do you want? In other words, why are you following me? Why are you seeking me? Jesus always really wants to ask us that question too. He wants to know what are our motives for coming to him? Are we just investigating to see, well, I've heard you're a great religious teacher. I just want to find out what you have to say. Uh, do we believe he's the son of God? Are we submitting our lives to follow him? Are we going to say, you're the leader, I'm the follower, so I want to know what you have to say and to get to know Jesus better? Now, they, these two guys, Andrew and John, they certainly had an advantage that we don't have because they're right there with Jesus. And even though they didn't know him, at least they had a chance to have a conversation with him. And so they say, Rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? I think what they meant by that was, can we spend some time with you? Because John recommended you. He says you're the Lamb of God. 
Uh, he says you're the Christ, the Messiah. We don't know you. We just know John. John trusts you. John recommended you. Can we meet you and have a conversation? And so they do that with Jesus. And then what you find out is the next day, this brother of Simon Peter, Andrew, he gets so excited to, that he's met Jesus. He's so excited. He's convinced that he's the Christ that Andrew has to go and tell somebody. He has to go find somebody that he really cares about and says, everything that we've been searching for has come to pass in this one man right here, and his name is Jesus. Now, I want to say something about Andrew because a lot of people know about Peter, but a lot of people don't know much about Andrew, Peter's brother. By the way, if you go to this city called Petras in southern Greece, there is a large cathedral there, and it is the Cathedral of St. Andrew. And they say that the remains or the relics or the bones of, of St. Andrew is there at this cathedral in southern Greece. He's best known in history as Peter's brother. He's as, as, an in, as influential and pivotal a church leader as Peter became. I think that even if Andrew didn't do anything else in his life, and we know Andrew did a lot. Church history says that he went way up into northern parts of Romania and Georgia and Armenia, and he was preaching the gospel up there, and he finally came back to, to southern Greece, and he was martyred. He was crucified for his faith in Christ in southern Greece. We know that Andrew was famous for a lot of things, but honestly, even if Andrew never did anything else in his life, the fact that Andrew did this one thing makes it all worth having Andrew as Peter's brother. Because it says, Andrew, for, by the way, for Andrew, uh, bringing someone to meet Jesus, that was the main thing that he did. One thing we know about Andrew, too, is that wasn't the only time he brought somebody to Jesus. You know, he brings Simon Peter to Jesus. He says, hey, we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. We also know from other places, like in John's gospel, for instance, in chapter 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000 there on the hills above Galilee, uh, it said that Andrew was the one who found the boy who had his sack lunch with him with the five loaves and the two fish. Andrew was the one who found him and brought that little boy to Jesus. Andrew was the one in John chapter 12 when Jesus is now in the last week of his life and he's in Jerusalem and he's doing his teaching, some Greeks, some, some Jewish people that had Greek background, they were in Jerusalem at the time for Passover and they went to Andrew and asked Andrew for an audience to be able to speak with Jesus. So Andrew was known for being the kind of person that had a gift of invitation, of bringing other people to Jesus. So it wasn't just a one-time thing for Andrew. It, it, it is good for us to imitate Andrew. We, we need to not just say, hey, Jesus is good for me, but everybody's religion's a private affair. We can't tell anybody how to live their life. And, you know, we have all those, these ways that just tamp us down and keep us from ever saying anything publicly about our faith in Jesus. What makes us evangelical? In fact, somebody asked me this question this week. It says, when you say you're evangelical, as a Christian, what does that mean? And I say, well, evangelical comes from that word evangel. Evangel means good news. And if you're evangelical, it means we have good news in Christ that we are commanded by Christ to share. Because he said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go and live a holy life and keep it to yourself. 
right? He wants us to share the good news with everybody. Andrew didn't even know Jesus yet. He finally meets Jesus, and the first thing Andrew does is he says, I can't keep this to myself. I got to tell somebody. So Andrew became a bringer. Andrew became a great example for us because Andrew did for his brother Peter what other loved ones in our lives who are outside God's family in their spirit, in their heart, if they knew what we knew, if they knew Jesus like we knew Jesus, they would thank us for going to them and talking to them and inviting them to come to Jesus just as we have. So we need to be bringers just like Andrew was. So Andrew brings his, his uh, brother. He goes and finds Simon. He says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him and say, we have found the Messiah. We found the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, you see that word in there, Messiah. You see Christ. You see another name mentioned uh, that when they first talked to Jesus, Andrew and John, when they said, when Jesus turned around, he says, hey, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, we would like to talk to you, right? Where are you staying? So we have Messiah. We have the word Rabbi. And then we have John's testimony about Jesus too. When he gave his review and he said, there goes the Lamb of God. So three titles for Jesus are right here in just this short passage of John. We have the Lamb of God. We have the rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. Rabbi, and, and when we're talking about teacher, we're not talking about the teacher that I'm used to. I'm thinking, when I think of teacher, I think of uh, my last teachers was in college or in seminary or my teachers in high school. Their job was I met them in the classroom, right? You know, and that's your experience with most teachers, right? You meet them in the classroom, you sit down in your chair or at your desk, and they have a lecture or they have a lesson that they want to teach, and you sit still while he or she instills, right? And then you learn what you're supposed to learn, and then the class is over and you walk out. That is a model of teaching that we have today, and it's good for passing along knowledge. It's not necessarily good for passing along lifestyle. When somebody was a rabbi in the first century, and by the way, if you wanted to be somebody's follower, you could perhaps request, you say, hey, rabbi, I'd like to be your disciple. I'd like to become one of your followers. You could maybe request that of the rabbi, but you just can't say, hey, I'm signing up for your class. You can't just say, I'm going to be one of your followers. In the first century, it was the rabbi's prerogative to decide who his followers, who his disciples were going to be. And you had to have the rabbi turn around and say, come follow me, come and be my disciples. And that's, by the way, that is a much better model of discipleship than just going into a classroom and having a teacher teach. And then you take notes and study and say, hey, so, excuse me, is this going to be on the test? You know, like we always do. That, that's what we normally do. In the, in the first century with the rabbi, it wasn't just hearing the words of the rabbi teach, it was following in the footsteps of the rabbi. In fact, they had a phrase back in the first century, they said, a good follower, a good disciple for a rabbi is someone who covers himself in the dust from the rabbi's feet and the rabbi's sandals. Because in the first century, you know, I, I look out and I see a paved road out there, nice asphalt, you know, not a lot of dust kicking up. It's kind of nice to be able to drive out there. Wasn't that way at all in the first century. First century, you know, every step, poof, 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 and you can just see the dust, you know, whoosh, 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 
So by the end of the day, you know, you got pretty dirty. And the, and, the, and the idea, the phrase came from that disciple is following his teacher so closely that whatever the rabbi does, that disciple tries to imitate. To where Jesus says any disciple who really follows his teacher will become like his teacher. I think that's why Peter, that's one of the reasons why Peter, when Jesus was walking along, uh, when, G, when they were in the boat in Matthew chapter 14, and there was a storm and a squall, and they're in the boat, and then they see Jesus come walking on the water, and you see Peter, and we always think, Peter, well, where did he get off asking a question like that? Where he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out of the boat and walk on the water with you. Why would Peter even say that? Because as a follower, he was trying to do everything his rabbi did. So when, if Jesus is walking on the water, he's my rabbi. If he's doing it, I guess I need to try to do it. And so Peter was trying to follow. So that's what is entailed. There's much more in that word rabbi than just teacher, the way we normally think of teacher. It's following in their steps. It's living day and night. Jesus spent day and night three Three years camping, eating together, walking together. They, they, the values that Jesus transmitted in those three years were so much deeper than a three-year classroom course in a seminary. So you have rabbi. You have Messiah. Messiah is the word that, that we call the Christ, where we call the Savior. You know, uh, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, right? We always say Jesus Christ. Christ is his title. Jesus is his first name. Christ means that he's the deliverer. He's the rescuer. He's the one who's the anointed one of God, chosen by God for that role. And I'm afraid that in the first century, er, those early disciples and everybody probably living in Israel, they had a different idea of what the chosen one of God was going to do. They saw him as a military man. They saw him as a, a way to win political independence from the boot of the Roman Empire. They saw a different role of Messiah. So when you see Jesus, even in this short passage in John's Gospels, these three titles, we have to keep all of these titles of who Jesus is in balance. He's not just the Savior. He's not just the, the chosen one of God. He's not just a great teacher. He's also the Lamb of God. Lamb of God meaning the substitute sacrifice for our sins. Going back to the time of the Passover, when the lamb, when this innocent lamb that lived with the family for four days, they had to confess, they confessed their sins and by covenant agreement with God, the sins of the people went into the lamb and the lamb became the sin offering and the lamb's throat was cut and the blood was shed and the lamb died, this innocent animal died so that the guilty people could be forgiven by a holy God. And when Jesus came to be the once-for-all sacrifice, he was called the Lamb of God. So we keep all of those titles, all of those descriptions of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We have to keep that in balance. Now, I want to close with this. So Jesus meets John, and he meets Andrew, and then Andrew can't keep it to himself, and he says, I got to go find Simon. Simon's going to love this. Simon's going to love this guy. So Simon says, hey, we've met the Messiah. This is the Christ. Come and meet him. And here's the thing. Andrew didn't just say, hey, we found the Messiah, and I hope someday you get to meet him too. No, Andrew, I don't know what he did to Peter. I have a feeling Peter would have beat him up if he tried. But, but uh, Andrew comes over. We found the Messiah, and it says, and he brought him to Jesus. 
It was so important for Andrew that Simon meet Jesus that he didn't wait to see, hey, Peter, uh, you want to make an appointment uh, next Sunday at church? Can you meet Jesus? Uh, what do you want to do? Uh, no, he says, Peter, come with me. We found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. That's how urgent it was. That's how compelling it was that, that somebody that Andrew loved and cared about says, you got to meet Jesus like I've met Jesus. That's how excited Andrew was. And so now Simon comes up before Jesus, and, and this is totally interesting to me, is why he changes his name the minute he meets Simon. And says, Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, or like if you've if you ever seen the movie Passion of the Christ, I think they pronounce it Kepha in the Aramaic. But Cephas, which translated means Peter. But the point is, his name was Simon. He came from the tribe of Simeon. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new name. And instead of being called Simon, I'm going to call you Rocky. I'm going to call you Solid Rocky. He's changing his name from the minute that Jesus met Peter. Peter means rock. Jesus not only saw Simon, and here, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus, he didn't just see Simon for who Simon was at that moment. We knew Simon was a, a natural-born leader. We knew that he was aggressive. We knew that he was impulsive. He would just say things. You know, a lot of times, Peter, the only time he opened his mouth was so he could change his feet, right? So Peter is famous for stepping in it, so to speak, when it comes to saying or maybe doing the wrong thing. But, but Jesus looked past all that, and Jesus saw this amazing potential in Peter. And so he says, Simon, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter. Jesus said, Simon, I don't know what you think of yourself in this moment, but let me tell you what I think of you. You may not be rock solid in your character right now, and you may experience a lot of bumps along the way, but I see great potential in you, and young man, and that's why I'm calling you Peter. Follow me, and I'll show you how you can become a rock solid leader in my missionary enterprise that someday is going to be called the Church of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Peter fulfilled that. Peter fulfilled that because Jesus believed in him. Now, when we see people... When we see people in life, sometimes we see people as they are right now. We see them in their brokenness. We see them with all their quirks and their habits and their hang-ups. And, and sometimes you can just look at somebody pessimistically and you can say the glass is half empty. And you can say, I don't know what God's going to do with somebody like that. Or you can do what Jesus did with people, which is Jesus sees people not just for who they are in the moment. Jesus sees us and he sees everyone for who they can become. So when you meet somebody, you know, part of being filled with God's spirit, I believe, is, is you start to see the best in people. You start to notice the good traits in people and not just the bad traits. And you start seeing, say, wow, step by step, little by little. If you stay with this and you keep following Jesus and you keep reading his word and you keep knowing him better, you're going to become somebody that God intended you to be all along. You're going to fulfill the, your created purpose, why God put you on this planet. Let's go to our action points today. This is in the bottom of your program. You only have three or four words to fill in. Try to keep it simple. Number one, Jesus invites us to know him better. 
He invites us to know him better. Jesus says, come and see. You remember when the the disciples first came to Jesus? Where are you staying, Rabbi? They'd never met him. They wanted to get to know him. And Jesus invites us to get to know him better because Jesus knows that if we know him better, we're going to love him more the way he loves us, and we're going to fall in love with him deeper and deeper, and we become more devoted disciples than we ever were before. How do we get to know Jesus better? You know, Jesus isn't walking on planet Earth like he was in the first century. But I tell you, there's four words, four, four words. <laughs> I'm going like, in what way is that four? <laughs> four words, okay? Stick with me now because I'm making a serious point here. It's hard for me. Okay, four words that we can get to know Jesus better. You want to know what the four words are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. You want to get to know Jesus better, what he values, what he thinks is important, what he rebukes, what he challenges, what he says is hypocritical, what he says is worth believing in and following. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He invites us to get to know him better. He says, come and see. Number two, Jesus invites us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. Once we understand who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, he's the Savior, he is the rabbi, he's the ultimate teacher who can teach us the wisdom of how to live our lives. Once we understand that he's the Lamb of God who died as a substitute payment for our sins so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life, then, then we will know him better, we will follow him, and we will become his devoted disciples. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says... That's what Jesus wants us to do. Once we know him and we start to follow him, John 1.12 says, therefore, as many as received him, as many people as received Jesus, and that means that you stop right where you are in your life and you said, Lord Jesus, I, I want you to know that I believe in you, that I am sorry for all the wrong things that I've done, but I trust in you to be my savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I declare today that I'm gonna start following you more closely, more uh, committedly than I ever have before. As many as received him, John says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We become children of God as we follow him and as we receive him. And then number three, it's not just enough to keep it to ourselves. You know, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the son of God has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Who do we know that we're not sure whether they have the son of God? Because whoever that person is, God is going to tap us on the shoulder and he's going to give us a spiritual nudge and he's going to say, just like Andrew went and found his brother Simon and he declared to him, we found the Messiah. He gave his trusted review after meeting Jesus and he says, you need to come check him out for yourself. And he brought Simon over to Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to bring others. I told you last week at the 50-year anniversary, I had this great friend, still a great friend in my life, one of my best friends today. His name is Joe Karcher. He was going to a life-giving church. He knew that I was kind of floundering spiritually. So he says, Jim, I'm going to this great church. I'm going to this college university class. I think you're going to love it. I went to that church, to that class, because I knew my friend Joe. I didn't know the church. I didn't know anybody in the church. Did I trust anybody at the church yet? No. But who did I trust? 
I trusted my friend Joe. And that's why I went to the church. And that's what changed my life radically forever. There's a lady in the church today. Her name is Shirley. I love her. Her name is, she's probably close to 90 years old. But if I see her to her face, I'll say, you don't look a day over 70. But, but anyway, I see Shirley and I say, she's Shirley from Boston because she comes from Boston and she still has that accent. So Shirley is here in our church today. Shirley wants to go to that follow class for church membership next week. She's here. She says that this church has blessed her and changed her life. But the reason Shirley is here is because her neighbors up at Burbank Heights, Larry and Dixie Erdman, they invited Shirley. And they said, we go to a really good church. You want to come to church with us? And Shirley said, sure, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. And Shirley came and checked it out. She came and she saw that the Lord was good. She came and saw that we are authentic believers and followers of Christ. That's why she's here. That's how our church is going to grow. When people like you and me get excited for Christ and we tell other people that we know and love and we say, come and see. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that as we follow you, that we could come to know you better, know you more and more each day. And as we read your word, we just read a passage right out of John's gospel. Lord, I pray that we could continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that, that we would be disciples that are hungry for your word and hungry to learn more about you. Lord, I pray that we'd become better followers of you. I pray that, that we would dedicate ourselves more and more, less and less to the things in life that don't really matter, and more and more to you and to seeking first your kingdom. And then, Father, we also pray that you would make us like Andrew. God, help us to have that spiritual antenna that when we look around and see other people, whether it's our neighbors where we live or our coworkers or uh, classmates at school or family members that we that we see once in a while at, at certain holiday events. Lord, I pray that, that we would speak up and say a word in love, say a word to them in truth and grace, and to, to declare them, to say, I, I just want you to know that I have come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and He is awesome, and He is totally worth following. And I want to invite you to know Him as well. God, help us to be bringers. Help us to bring sharers. Help us to help grow your kingdom by growing closer to you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.